This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music at our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And welcome to the fourth episode of the Cortex Prime MM Play series. In this episode, we're going to discuss stats in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. Oh, I'm Chris. And I am Old Man Logan. Hey, we're here. It's episode four of MM Plays. We haven't, that's right. We haven't fun so far? Stats, we're having a ball. Stats, 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 stats. Oh, yeah. You know I love I'm having stats. a lot of fun. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I mean, the, the audio technical difficulties that we have that are minor these days were, were not as much fun. I was aggravated by it, but I think everybody else was fine with it. We've got some raging fun over here. Raging fun. That's right. a, that, that, a, that feels yeah, like a South Park doctor reference. to look at that. <laughs> uh, announcements before we get on to anything else, though. Uh, a bunch of us write, write or work on the Gnome Stew now and again. Mm-hmm. And Bob is the editor. Sure, I, sure. I mostly edit the, the Gnome cast. Phil writes an article once in a while. I write one like once every, like once every six months. <laughs> I just dropped mine off uh, for one day, for less than day turnaround to Bob. So I'm a, I apologize. <laughs> you threw me off because tomorrow's Wednesday. Usually you do Friday. Ange took my Friday. <gasps> Normally I take the last Friday of the month, but Ange had already taken it. You so. know, Phil, I know that you have a raging ego and it's not, it's usually about you, but this actually isn't about you. This is about us asking people if yeah. they want to write for the gnome stew. Yes. Yes. Sure. <laughs> right away. Yes. I submitted a, he doesn't really have a raging ego. I'll just give him a shit. <laughs> I no, actually, he's got I, a raging ego. I do. <laughs> actually submitted my first idea to them so oh, that's we'll see how it goes but what we're looking for here is mm-hmm. people to write for the gnomes to Ange had no manage asked me to, to put the, the call out if you were interested in writing for the gnomes to you can submit on the website there's a drop down menu at the top that says write for us and you can click on that and then submit your ideas and say if you want to write in perpetuity or you just you know want to write a guest article if you only maybe only got one idea I hear they even pay yeah they do I in fact money. Yeah, the other thing is we've had uh, people who've written a couple guest articles over the years become mm-hmm. uh, full-time writers. Yeah, for I mean, the, for the site. we're looking so. for full-time writers mm-hmm. over at the Stew, so there fact, you go. That is exactly the tradition of how Gnome Stew got started. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm going to give a quick shout-out to a Kickstarter that is uh, underway. Do it! Today, so it should be running by the time you hear this. It is for a game called Subversion. Yeah, it's a cyberpunk, shadowrunny type game. Its main author is uh, Opti who is, if you've ever listened to the Neo-Anarchist podcast, The History of Shadowrun, uh, Opti is the uh, person who hosts that podcast. They've also done some Shadowrun development, I believe. And uh, now they are kind of taking their own take on cyberpunk fantasy. If you're an indie game fan, then you know the game Misspent Youth. They took that over to help publish that. They've done a lot of stuff, actually. Yeah, they've done a lot of stuff. They're cool, dude. It's Fragging Unicorn Games. I love the name. Fragging Unicorn Games. The Kickstarter's doing great. It could certainly do even better as people back it. Jump onto the Kickstarter and just search for Subversion. If you're curious as to the game system, it is a roll and keep D6 dice pool. Roll a bunch of D6s, keep three. Yeah, it's actually... um, That sounds interesting. What I love is it hints towards Shadowrun, as in roll a big pile of dice. But then it's like, but to make this math kind of reasonable, you just keep three of these. Correct. Which is... I actually am okay with that. Yeah. I'm very okay with I that. I know yeah. people love core systems, like core randomizers. They went, what's the game system? The core randomizer. This is not the game. Like, it's all about neighborhoods and keeping your community up and fighting for what you believe is right. And if you don't fight for what you believe in right, it hurts you. Yeah, there you here, go. That's cool. from, from the Kickstarter page, here's, a, here's some stuff. It's almost like I read um, it today. <laughs> immersive characters with their own unique fantasy lineage, values, impulses, backgrounds, and goals, a flexible D6-based dice pool, 
system designed to allow multiple and creative solutions to almost every encounter, player-created community that acts as another character, helping the PCs mm -hmm. and needing their help, uh, a robust setting in a world once similar to ours, but with wondrous creatures, magical abilities, Babylonian influences. Neo-Babylon is the urban megasprawl serving as the world's economic and cultural capital. And varieties of balanced characters and advancement options means characters won't ever get too powerful for the setting, even as characters get better and more unique. It sounds cool. Like, I, yeah. I did tip them off on Twitter like a month or two ago. I was like, hey, I'm like, you got communities in your game. Do you ever see Underground? They're like, no. And I'm like, here's a link. Like, <laughs> Might want to take a look at it just for yeah. giggles. Might want to take a peek. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That looks like a cool game. It does. I was going to back it. And then I was like, half the people I know backed it. So I, never mind. I backed it. I, I backed it this morning. I, I would have to see like the, the mechanic in play. My brain is telling me if I've got a big dice pool like Shadowrun, but I'm only keeping three, the cognitive load on that isn't any less or more. Because you still have to parse all of those dice. Not me. To I figure look. out which yeah. ones are the three that you want to keep. I've played enough Warhammer that anything under 50 dice is a small hand of dice. It's so. just D6s. <laughs> it's not like I have to like, think about it like Cortex. But I think the important thing is that Shadowrun's cognitive load isn't just rolling a big pile of dice. No. It's how many big piles of dice you have to roll in the course of a turn. It, yes. It, see... It's funny because you're like, that mechanic is like, I need to see how that McCormick has. Like, I need to see how that interacts with all the choices that I can make between magic and, that and technology. Too. That too. Because, yeah. I mean, if you're going to do Shadowrun-esque stuff, you got to show me how does your magic and your tech work in the game together to make it simpler than it was for Shadowrun. Because Shadowrun was complicated. You'd learn a bunch of different things. I think the thing I'm uh, most curious to see is going to be, is it going to be mission-based or will you will you do other things? Because there is a, I think... I'm going to just say this. I think there's an over-reliance in the cyberpunk genre for job-based play. Sure. Like I like every game does job job-based play and I would just love to see some other cyberpunk takes on not running jobs. I I don't know, right? Like I don't know, but based on what they said because they're like we're going to do the cyberpunk corporate stuff and we're going to do the epic magic storytelling stuff. So I'm like, it probably should have both of those kind of stories inside of that mm -hmm. game. I'm okay if it encompasses and allows you to do them. But like, for instance, Shadowrun basically exists to run jobs. Correct. Which is why the sprawl is so good because the sprawl was like, forget everything. This game is only about running jobs. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious to just see like, I would love like other takes on things you could do in a cyberpunk world. That's where I think that cyberpunk, the game had a lot of different supplements that were not about just running jobs. There was a lot of stuff about like, like the, the rocker boy world tour or Subatica or everything in grim cyber tales, all the different things where you were, sometimes you were just like, you're these people living in this area and this is something happening to you or here are your characters. Why did they come together? And then what is driving behind them to drive a bigger plot? That sort of thing. It's modern design. Yes. Right. Like this is modern design. There probably should be some sort of phases mm -hmm. of play. Yeah. There better be something about the neighborhood phase of play. I mean, I would hope so. Otherwise, like, what are you doing yeah. to help your, your neighborhood, neighborhood is important in the game. I'm, they, they've got to have something for If that. your neighborhood's like a character, you should be doing something with your character. Correct. Yeah. yeah. All Agreed. Right. That's all I have to say about that. Anybody else? Nope. Nope. Cool. Should we go to the garage? I guess we can go to the garage. Access granted. God, I love that voice. It's been a while it's been, since we did that. We're going to talk about stats. 
That's what we're doing. We're gonna we're gonna break down stats in in role playing games. That why? was the thing. Why are we Why are we doing that? We're doing that because our Cortex Prime mods thing was all about talking about. We talked a lot about Prime sets, and yeah. Prime sets are our statistic. Yes, in mm-hmm. games. So that's why that's going to be our primary example. That's where we're going with this. It's all about stats today, and we'll talk about some other games too. I I really want to talk about the um the base attributes in Call of Cthulhu, which are statistics, <laughs> and we'll talk about why those things are like subsets of. One of the one is subset of the other, but first to get this whole thing rolling, we should probably do a definition about what is a stat. We should probably do that. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. I like that Todd Crapper has been on the show as much as most people because of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Todd's on every show. A statistic or stat is a trait that is associated with a piece of data, often an integer, die size, or dice pool occasionally things like labels as well Mm -hmm. that represents an aspect of a character and that interacts with the game mechanics. A game's core resolution mechanic is often directly connected to the primary statistics. That is base stats, not derived from other traits of the player characters. Characters may also have secondary statistics and those can be derived from other traits. So what is the difference between a statistic and an attribute then? Sure. Now we're getting into like taxonomy here, right? Mm -hmm. An attribute is a type of statistic. So it is a piece of data that describes to what extent a fictional character in a role-playing game possesses a specific natural inborn characteristic common to all the characters in the game. Strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. That is the classic. Those everybody, are the, those are everybody knows that everybody one. Everybody knows those attributes. And every single character has them. Face rip. Correct. Face rip <laughs> is another set of attributes. Fighting. Yes. Yeah, that'll tell you something about your game. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, this is the important part because this is where we're going to get into a little deeper is that all of these things are statistics. Attributes are a specific type of statistic. Yes. Mm-hmm. But there are other types of statistics. Yes. yes. Uh, and depending on your game, your stats may be represented by different things. The most common, if we look from the 80s, forward the most common stats you will find in a game are attributes mm-hmm. by and large in some other games you see that branch out a bit right fate core does that a little differently because they don't use attributes they use skills or approaches well uh, fate, approaches and accelerated is a skills fate accelerated is approaches correct accelerated uses approaches which is also kind of novel and cool and then i'll just highlight really quickly one last one roles mastermind hacker hitter leverage thief for leverage So think, just keep that in mind. When we say statistic, we mean it can be any one of those. But when we say attribute, we mean a a certain type of statistic or stat. So how do they work? That is the question. Well, they they work. (laughs) They just do. (laughs) Yeah. So the way that they work is they are often the things that help add to the core mechanics of the game or or even the secondary mechanics of the game. Really all the mechanics of the game. They should interact with them in some way, shape, Mm -hmm. and or form. Not not every single one of them, obviously, but they provide modifiers or... (laughs) or ways to push those mechanics in different ways. That's actually what they're for. They're core and integral to everything about the game system itself. Yeah, there would be something broken in your game if your stats did not contribute to the core mechanics of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's a really, really weird question to ask, but it's part of our garage thing, and it, it actually bears saying, like, people don't really think about it, right? Yeah, I mean, if your stats didn't do anything to interact with the mechanics of the game, why are they there? Right. I mean, that's one of the first things I look at when I look at our new role-playing game. 
is I look to see what are the stats? Mm -hmm. What does the character sheet look like? What is going to define this character before we even get into the rest of the gobbledygook of the game? Absolutely. Uh, you can learn a lot about a game just by looking at the stats. Mm -hmm. And as you get more and more genre or uh, RPG savvy, it's often tell a lot about a game because you can understand what the stats kind of look like. The first thing I do in any Power by the Apocalypse game is see which stat interacts with which move. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Because okay. that'll tell me if I want to play this game in a yep. certain way, what stats do I have to utilize to whatever. It also, if it says any, then I know that's the, the bucket stat. Sure. Mm -hmm. If it has multiple or choices. That's the bucket move. Yeah. The is, bucket the, move. is the, is the, is the, uh, that one. Another opposite harbinger of all this is if I see a game that has too many stats. If you've got a game where there are, you know, 14 or 15 prime attributes like strength and body and endurance and constitution or four different ability, that sort of thing, that can often be, this game is going to be much crunchier. And you know, I don't know if, I mean, yes, for prime attributes, but like the skill list in Call of Cthulhu is gigantic. The skill list is. Yeah. Those are, those are all stats. That's true. COC can be crunchy. Yeah. I mean, it uh, can be, but yeah. it's it, not really. I mean, that game is so easily simple. I'm not saying that this is a negative thing. I'm just saying it tells you a little bit about a, a game that's only got a limited number of, of stats, attributes, and skills, and that sort of thing is often going to have a simpler game mechanic. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Lasers and feelings, right? Exactly. You either have lasers or feelings. Yeah. And I have to touch my head now. Sorry, yeah. Nicole, because I hit Jerry's Definitely. mic stand. Yes. Jesus. Yes. So, <laughs> so, so, so go something to think of, just something to look at when you look at a game. So going back to how they work, just as a clear example, just go with a strength check in D&D. I want to lift up these bars. Okay. My strength, the plus, hopefully, right? Hopefully I have a plus. Uh-huh. Whatever that number is, I have a 16, but there's a corresponding, there's a derivative plus that goes with it. 16 is three. It's two in Dungeon World. Yeah, six, it, it's, it's always, it's always <laughs> 12, 14, it's, 16, 18, 20. It's, it's yeah. one for 10, every two. It's 10 minus the number divided by two. The reason we had this conversation yeah. is Bob was holding up the number two. Yeah. Yes. And Jerry was holding up the number three. 14 is a two. 14 yeah. is a two. Right. Anyway, I knew this. Whatever, I'm old. It's 10 minus the number he divided by two. wasn't wrong. Two no. is totally the, the modifier in Dungeon World. Sure. And okay. in basic D&D. And in basic D&D. All right. Because Bob's going old. Back, going back to this. <laughs> if I need to make a strength check. I have a strength attribute mm -hmm. that corresponds to a bonus that gets added to my die roll. I roll my d20, I add my strength bonus. That is like how it resolves. That's where attribute core mechanic come together. That's More what less. we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It gets a little funkier depending on how far in the weeds you get on different mechanics. Yeah. Well, and different mechanics might yeah. pull in skills or mm -hmm. they might pull in two yeah. attributes or attribute skill, that or kind of dice, thing. build dice pools off dice, of them. Right, but yeah. in, it, in its cleanest form. Easiest understandable Most form. Easily yep. understandableest form. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is it right there. Yes. So that's how it works. So so which games use them? All of them. Not all of them. Most of them. For the Queen doesn't use it. Correct. For the yes. Queen. Neither does the quiet year. Yes. Yes. There are exceptions. There are exception exceptions, and you have picked some really fringe ones. I did. Doesn't matter. But I just wanted to say not all games. It's fair. Sure. Most games. Most games. I would say 95% of games, maybe 99% sure. of games. I agree. I didn't want the internet to yell at us. Yes. Because you know how the internet is. The internet's going to yell at you anyway. I mean, so sure. Let the them yell. Most games use them. <laughs> let yes. them yell. Pretty much most games. Again, if you don't have a core mechanic, you probably don't need stats. I mean, those games have core mechanics. Flip a card. Not all of them. Some of them do. The Some quiet. of them do. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just pointing it out, right? Like, there is a game design style that doesn't require that. No, I mean, absolutely. Correct. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Perhaps so, uh, yeah. we should mention some of the games that actually do use yeah, well, them. Yeah, we Dungeons and Dragons does, right? Yeah. 
Pathfinder. I mean, the the the, the ones that you were talking about that you mentioned before: strength, dex, con, int, wisdom, charisma. That's like everything, right? There's tons of video games that use them now yeah, because it is of a super popular set of attributes. Well, yeah, and, the and, the index card RPG, which is like a new and upcoming game, uses them. I think it's funny when you see a new role playing game that goes out of its way to try to define them differently and you find out that what they're really doing is just those those six stats because they work very well they cover a lot of things yeah, yeah and they're symmetrical yeah mm-hmm. there's yeah. three that are physical and there's three that are mental yeah which you know some people call those like the physical ones are harder statistics and the mental ones are softer statistics which i don't know how i feel about that yeah. i don't know if i'd label them like that that's i've just seen it i saw it in a couple of different places i'm, I'm sure like i'm not sure how i feel about that. i mean people can label things wrong yeah I, <laughs> people like to put labels on things sure but phil what about comeliness Yes. It's well, you would need an original unearthed arcana with the pages that didn't fall out from the shitty binding from that book. And then just don't use it. Yeah. And then, and then you'll never use it. Correct. Yeah. You know what else game uses them? Cortex. Sure. Mm-hmm. Which we're going to talk about now. So how do prime trade sets work or just trade sets work in Cortex Prime? Yeah. Well, now we get into what we did last yep. uh, oh, episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. I got the my character sheet up so I can yep. talk about it yep. a little bit, but we have a bunch of them. Like mm-hmm. we have Many statistics. Sure. So the interesting thing is when you get into Cortex Prime, there is a whole chapter on creating characters. And the thing is, Cortex Prime typically uses what are called prime sets, and there are three of them, one of which is locked down, which is at its heart, all Cortex games use distinctions. Yep. And then you have the freedom to pick the other two based on what you want your game to do. And what you want to do in your game. To be fair. We sort of have four. The book does actually say that you can go without distinctions if you really want to, but you're probably going to be working a little harder to make sure that you've got everything working together. Yeah. Distinctions are like a really easy and they. It's a super easy way to get started. I mean, they help define your character in terms of their aspect like uh, properties and things like that. Mm -hmm. Now we actually do have extra ones, but the extra ones we put in don't always come into play. The three prime sets that really form your heart, like your core stats for the game, which is uh distinction. What did we use? Roles and roles and affiliations. And affiliations. Yeah. And I would say based on our previous definition that roles and affiliations definitely fulfill the attribute label because yes. they're common across all characters. Sure. Mm-hmm. Distinctions sort of, but our distinctions are different. Mm-hmm. So they're not yes. common. Everybody yeah. has distinctions, but the, each distinction is different. Each character has different distinctions. Yes. Yeah. Which is interesting. So I have no idea how to, I guess it's more of a stat than an attribute then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now those three will always go in your die pool, but like for instance, relationship will only go in your die pool. When the relationship matters. If the relationship matters. And magic only goes in the die pool when magic is a, a part yeah. of the game. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So those two are also stats, but they're like, I wouldn't like for our game, I would not consider them the core stats. By the way, that's on purpose because the game is high school or magic. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes both at the same time, which Ooh. means that's why, why we can get some ridiculous dice pools. Yeah. Ridiculous and fun. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And you know, high schooly. Yes. Fun. <laughs> the thing is when you're making your cortex game, mm-hmm. you actually have to figure this out. Like you have to decide what do I want? What do I want characters to be made up of? And what do I want players to be pulling together to make dice pools? Mm-hmm. I guess the cool part is how you define it tells you a lot about the game you're playing. For example, in the, in the game that we play on Sundays, we have our genius roles. We have the way we apply them, but we have no combat whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The game has absolutely no attributes, stats, skills, roles, whatever that involve combat. I mean, yes, 
by, by I definition. thought of a, a half dozen ways in that game to do something that includes violence. Yes. But I just don't because we've Correct. decided as a group not to play that. Yeah. Yes. Sure. I mean, but, could you but, use but, science but, to blow something up? Correct. Sure. Absolutely. Could I use science to hurt somebody pretty oh. badly? Yeah. Could good, I use science to harm? Oh, good like, guy. Situation. Good guy. Gree is a nine is is a nine foot yeti. But that no. What I'm saying is because of the way we designed that and the way we implemented it, it steers us away from violence as an initial response to doing it, things. It does. There's no fight stat. Right. Yes. Correct. There's yeah. no. There's no fight trait. There's nothing like that. That's yep. what I'm saying. The, the the ones we pick for Cortex will help to, again, inform the game. Technically, if you look at our distinctions, our roles, and our affiliations, though, mm -hmm. there's nothing that's fighty in there either. For this high school game, we chose to put weapons in there, which informs our play. Yeah. That's, but that's a choice that we made outside of the, yes. outside of mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. base stats. That, that's why I'm saying, like, yes, what you said is true, but the fact that the setting, the situation... And the conversation that we had about how we want to play the game actually impacted that more. Sure. In my um, Long Live the Queen game with Senda, we use distinctions, skills, of which there are combat skills in that game. Mm -hmm. And then we use uh, roles. But the roles are, where is your heart in whatever you're doing? So, like, there is family, duty, love. There is a stat for seduce. And you can seduce for love, but you can also seduce for duty. It tells you something about the game, right? So mm -hmm. one of the things it tells you when you're playing the game is where is your head? Where is your heart as you are undertaking this action? The actions are the same. The skills are the same. But that approach asks the question, where is this coming from? Now, in our Children of the Shroud game, the trait that makes it so that we know we're going to have fighting this game is we all have weapons. Yes. And yeah. Those weapons have a martial magic effect of attack and defense. Mm -hmm. That informs the game that we are going to be fighting stuff. Yes. Yeah. And if we actually trace that back one step further, when we built the setting, we chose swashbuckling. Yep. Yes. Which by default means we need to put weapons in the game. So it, it comes full circle. We initially said our game will have weapons in it. So therefore we needed a mechanical representation for it in the game. In order for it to also be important. A set of stats that definitely informs the fact that they'll be fighting in a game is phase rip. Because phase yes. rip has fighting as a stat. Correct. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So like that's it a literally that, calls it out. That I means mean, that that stat set is basically telling you you're gonna fight stuff. One of my favorite games by Brian's La Maria. There are three stats, stat blocks. One is your attributes, one is your careers, and the third one are your combat abilities, which mm. are melee, range, defense, and initiative. That that's a game that tells you it's very gonna be pulpy fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me kick it to D&D &D for a second. The, yeah. the, only, the first thing in Dungeons and Dragons that tells you that you'll be fighting stuff, aside from your classes and things like that, but stat-wise, is the not even stat-wise, I suppose, it, I guess it's not really a stat, but your proficiency bonus and the fact that it ties to weapon proficiency. Because mm -hmm. your weapon proficiencies provide your proficiency bonus. Yeah. So if you have a weapon proficiency, you're adding that stat to things. Mm -hmm. but you have to go to a secondary like level of stuff to get there. Mm -hmm. I mean, class also tells you. Class does too. Yes. I mean, considering that one of the classes is literally called fighter, 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 <laughs> yes. like you will be fighting stuff. But I mean, I'm, we're talking about stats that inform, yeah. right? Yes. So that's, yeah. that's where you have to go to, to get the actual stat that informs mm -hmm. yeah. stats don't necessarily always have to inform the gameplay that is going to occur, but they help when they do. I agree. Right. I don't mm -hmm. think they have to. My personal preference is the tighter that is, mm -hmm. the more I like it. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Like, I, that's just a personal preference. Dungeons and Dragons sits under the weight of the fact that it's like a 50-year-old game or 40-year-old game, whatever it's, it is. It's, it's a problem. There's stuff that's wrong with that game. 
like the, the fact that you have to use us 18 to get a plus four like why can't it just be plus four <laughs> i mean you know it's funny because there have been through multiple versions debates about do you need to keep the original numbers? Uh, and they're there for nostalgia state. That's why they're there. Well, they're even in, cows. I mean, they're in DCC for the exact same reason. Correct. Like in every game, they're there for nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 16 never shows up on the table. No. You don't roll under the 16. You don't add the 16 to no. anything. You use the 16 to derive a bonus. The bonus is what actually gets put into the core roll. Correct. Now there are games out there where you, where the way you save against a stat is to roll on. Sure. Yeah. But that's not for fifth edition. So that's not fifth, not fifth edition. D&D, yeah. Correct. The, in dungeon world, the only stat that matters, it's the big numbers constitution. Yes. Cause that's how you get your, mm-hmm. cause you add your con to at least, at least dungeon mm-hmm. world first edition before they revised it or whatever they mm-hmm. did with it. I don't remember. I know, but dungeon world does the same thing. Dungeon world acknowledges that we're just going to put the numbers in because yeah. people love numbers. But yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I remember the games where you roll, roll under and, your stat. Yep. And, and there are, and there are games out there that are derivations of D20 D and D where things like your hit points are literally your constitution plus something Yeah, and your mental yeah. and your mental health is going to be either wisdom or intelligence plus something. So I could see, but that's not well. That's not core fifth edition. It is trickled down to other game systems. No, I'm saying games that derive from those. Yeah, sure. I'm, yeah. I'm just saying like there's like the D and D landscape for the most part until you get to like the original editions. Well, and I, I mean, I mean, it's fine, right? Like it, it's fine for design aesthetics. They keep it for nostalgic's mm-hmm. sake, and the same reason why Dungeon World did. Dungeon World was looking to produce a very specific uh, feel. Yeah. And, and you know they that's exactly what they um shot for mm-hmm. yep. i think it changed when third edition came out because third edition tied the numbers into a very linear progression they weren't the parabola that you saw in the earlier game systems and that's when i think that and they were also adjustable stats the stats went up as you as you leveled up mm-hmm. and i think that made a difference and i'm not saying it was for better or for worse i'm just saying i think that's it's for that, worse that's where i think you saw the change i'll so. be i'll be very much on 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 point on that they, people can yell at me it's for worse at for least, you at least in, no for every for for gaming for like the playability of the game it's worse that's if i have to do another step then it's worse there's no efficiency there there's no reason for it to exist aside from nostalgia no no what i mean is i think that that making them more linear than per, than parabolic. No, no, I'm talking about the fact that they kept the numbers of 16, 18. Oh yeah, no, that's different. That's, I wasn't saying that that a, I, that's an inefficiency in the game. No, I was saying I think that that you saw that where we are today came from the fact. Yeah, that sure, they made, you're, you're that they, right. That I'm not going to argue with you yeah, about that. that. Well, that's what I was saying. <laughs> no, but but I'm but but I'm saying like they 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 never switched the numbers. No, they were right? brave no. enough to get rid of the original saving throw names. They could be brave enough to toss correct. out those those six yeah, those six um those maybe someday the three d six. The OSR community is losing their own. Like those numbers matter. I'm like, you're not wrong about those games. If you make <laughs> games where those numbers matter, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. That's the crux of it, right? If you make them matter, then they matter. Yeah. Yeah. The only way they matter now would be if you got like a plus one to a stat where going from a 15 to a 16 makes a difference where you're not just getting a two point bonus every time you do something. That's where the, that's where the numbers could make a difference. I guess. I guess. But couldn't you just have like in your progression when you get your att- attribute goes up it just. Like add a plus one to one of your attributes. Why like are we making why are we every every X number of levels? I, add a plus one. I'm to not one of your saying attributes. it's better or worse. I'm saying that's the point. My my point wasn't good or bad. My point yes. was that's where the numbers would matter. Yeah, it is the only if, place if, that matters. If you, if you have a 15 in a stat and suddenly you get something that gives you a plus one to that stat, now you've got a 16, no, which gives you the plus one. 100. And for so sure, and for sure, my recent D and D character, I did exactly that thing. Mm-hmm. I did yeah. exactly that thing. I put a 15 into a stat knowing that in a few levels 
I could get it to a 16 and I would get a plus one bonus. Yeah. Sure, but that's why does that exist to begin with? Uh, correct. Yeah. Why? We're not debating why. Well, let's We're move. Saying that's let's no, move. I actually am because that's a design thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am choosing to design that way for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. That's a bad reason. Well, your bad, your bad reason is nostalgia. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. That's that's it, I agree that that's what that's what it's there for. It's if, it's there for brand identification. If you're leaning into nostalgia with your design mm-hmm. and you've got other things, but nostalgia is like a secondary or a tertiary thing you're leaning into mm-hmm. with your design. Fine, whatever. But if your sole purpose of that one thing is nostalgia, Justice. just kill the sacred cow I, and yeah. move on. I mean, from a design perspective, roll 3d6. Look at this table. Put this plus in your stat. Yeah, yeah, you're done. You get yeah. to still, you still get to roll your three d six for your mm-hmm. attributes because yep. that's fun. But also, you just, you know, your status plus three. Yeah, okay, that's really what it comes down to. It'd be like rolling on a table. Okay. So, what play experience do these create? Well, apparently a lot since we've been talking about it. Very much so. I want to talk about Call of Cthulhu for a second. Yeah, good. let's talk about Call of Cthulhu. Okay, so, I, I like the Call of Cthulhu um, base attributes. I think they inform a lot about the game. So there's there are four that are like pretty pretty standard. There's strength, sure. constitution, dexterity, and intelligence. What? You missed one. Which one? Size. No, no, I'm not done yet. Okay. <laughs> because those are the four basic ones. There's like four more that I'm going to yeah, talk about him, that are much him, more interesting, finish. Jerry. <laughs> okay. Size is one of them. Mm-hmm. Power is one of them. Appearance is one of them. And education is one of them. Yes. Those four things right there inform a lot about what this game is about. Oh, yeah. Correct. That's that's why I didn't include size. Oh, okay. You got because it. In, there's you got it in the same sentence. That's why I, I do. I do not. There's a paragraph return there. <laughs> it just that doesn't look like that to you. So size is how big you are, right? Yeah. Like this game cares about how big you are for some reason. Even though every time you run into anything that's terrible, well, not not for some reason. No, it, it does for a very reasons. specific reason. For, for for two reasons, and one of them is nostalgia because the game Cockthul is based on had that as a core stat. That's true. That's a, that's a, um, that, that's. But it's not the primary reason for it. Continue, Chris. Uh, I mean, it just shows you how big you are, so how much of a beating you can take, yep. and also how uh, monsters can pick you up and toss you around. Because it's way funnier when the six foot five guy gets thrown than it is when the four foot two person gets thrown. Well, maybe you, not funnier, but do you remember my character from uh, your call? He was huge, huge, huge. Oh. He was a huge mountain man. His yep. poor, his poor horse. <laughs> yes, he was. I think. What was? I think I had something like an eighty-seven or something. Yeah, you were a big, big boy. I was yeah. big boy in that game. Yeah. Power. So that's like your personal magnetism, spirit, and mental, mental stability. Mm-hmm. And that was important because it helped you with your sanity rolls. And mm-hmm. that mattered a lot in Call of Cthulhu. Oh, and yeah. that's very much on purpose. I know it's, it, and it's not this, it's, uh, it's kind of fulfilling the same role as like wisdom, but more so yeah. in this game. Um, appearance also, I mean, we're coming off of comeliness here, obviously, mm-hmm. but the fact that it's there and the fact that we're mostly playing in like the 1920s, 1930s, where that kind of mattered to people mm-hmm. for some reason. Uh, hit there and then education which is a very informative thing this is not intelligence because intelligence already exists in the game Mm -hmm. education is where you went to school how much you know about stuff Mm -hmm. and that matters because this game is all about skills and knowing things yeah knowing yeah knowing things is i mean it's an investigation game knowing stuff is a huge component knowing is half the battle Mm -hmm. yeah so i thought that was pretty important as to how it informed the game itself if i was making a modern version of this like today i would replace education with like google Google Foo. I mean, Google I mean, I wouldn't skill, call it. Right? I wouldn't call it Google because you'll get crushed in a lawsuit. Yeah, but but the idea being is like, internet. Is food. it more important to know stuff, or how fast can I find the answer to literally everything in the world on the internet? Isn't that just a skill? Could be. It feels like a skill. I think you replace education with knowledge. Sure. Right. In a, in a modern game. I mean, I'd replace it with recall. That's the actual attribute. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, accurate. That's recall. Knowledge. Recall also works. Either one works. All right. Anybody yeah. want to bring up anything else? Like, so 
those base stats inform how you play the game. Sure. Pre-show, we had talked about uh, Blades in the Dark. And the approaches in Blades in the Dark tell you everything about how you are going to go about the action you're taking. And they play into the mechanics of the game because the player always gets to pick which approach they're taking, but the GM gets to decide position and effect. The GM gets to basically say, oh yeah, you can totally do it that way, but it's either going to be less effective or more risky. Those are the two. It's been a little while since I played that game. But I think that's a fascinating approach to stats because it gives the player the autonomy to say, this is how I wish to carry about this action. Mm -hmm. But it checks it with the GM saying, yes, you can. But based on narrative positioning and all of that, Mm -hmm. this is how effective that approach is going to be. Or, yes, you can do it. But it's going to be potentially costly for you if you don't roll well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the classic D&D argument of intimidation via charisma or via strength. Yes, yes. It's like if I'm the, the giant lumbering barbarian dude, you telling me I have to have a high charisma to intimidate somebody? Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes, you do. And thank you because I had that argument years ago in D&D with my barbarians. Yep. Strangely enough, in 5th edition D&D, you can actually not do it that way if you want. The Game Master can make the calls like, yeah, you can use your strength instead of your charisma. Yeah, sure, which is great, right? Like that's the modernizing Assuming of you're proficient in intimidation. But, yeah. but let me just state like core mechanic wise. Mm-hmm. So Fate Accelerated <clears throat> is sure. similar to Blades in the Dark with approaches. Yeah. Uh-huh. The difference is, and I think this is the evolution of thought, in, in Fate Accelerated, as long as narratively you can keep spamming that button, you can just keep using that same approach. Yeah. And, and it's just whatever base number it is, whatever. The GM could play it up or down, but, you know, if you're fighting against somebody and I'm using quick, I'm going to use quick this whole combat and they have, you know, defense, whatever, you know, bonus. It's basically that. But in Blades, the GM gets to weigh in on this will or will not work better. You may or may not get the results that you're looking for if you keep spamming the quick button. (laughs) Spamming the quick button or just, you know, narratively like, oh, you can use brute force, but you're in the middle of a restaurant. There's going to be some consequences for using brute force for intimidation here. Can I slide back to uh, Forge in the Dark? Anything you like. Cool. So like the action labels and their descriptions also matter a lot and inform how you play the game Mm -hmm. because those approaches then mean something. For instance, in Scum and Villainy, there's hack and then helm and then rig. Which I think there's a rig in Blades in the Dark too. Could be because it's like steampunkish. Mm-hmm. It's like like Victorianish steampunky yep. type stuff. Oh, you, there's inventor stuff. In yeah. The, yeah, that informs a bunch about the setting too and yeah. how you might approach things. Uh, th- that's the thing that maybe we didn't talk. We we did talk a little bit about that when it comes to, to statistics. How it can inform your setting. Yeah, and I think the labels you use are very can be very informative. Yeah, like we use high school veil and magic, magic for the children of the shroud, which informs you about what the setting's all about. Uh, and the approaches are named after clicks. Mm-hmm. The approach is named after clicks because it's a high school game, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like done, done completely on purpose. Could we have used generic names for them? Absolutely. Yeah, but they're way better when they're like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I that's a definite personal preference of mine is that yeah. you're leaning into a genre on it. Yeah, and not every action or a label like that has to be like that, but they can no. help. They help, I think. Because sure, sure, sure enough, man, strength, Dexterity, con, and whiz, and charisma don't tell you anything about a setting. We talked about a couple of weeks ago off mics again, so I'll bring it back up. We were talking about the old DC Heroes game from Mayfair, mm-hmm. and they have nine attributes for characters, which seems like a lot. But what they do is they have three groups of three, physical, mental, and spiritual, because 
DC Heroes has to cover everything from Batman through Dr. Fate. Those nine stats, and each one was like, one is like raw power, the next one's finesse, and the next one's like toughness. Those are not the actual names. I'm saying what they represent, right? So it's like strength, dexterity, what's endurance. Yes. But then the spiritual one is spirit, and I forget what the other two are, but they represent the finesse and the toughness. Yeah. What's interesting is like, that's a game that has to span a lot. And so their, their stats. Yeah, there's a lot of ground to cover. They, they use nine stats to be able to kind of describe everyone from Robin through, I, I guess Dr. Fate was a good one, Shazam, whatever. My DC knowledge sucks. <laughs> They'd make better movies. I'd know more about it. Oh, zing. Wow. Wow. Just, just wow. That, I'm halfway through my coffee. Go sorry. Ahead. How could you say something so brave yet so correct? <laughs> He's almost spitting his coffee out over there. Everybody. Oh man. He's trying. He's trying. That's just, pretty good. I'm just saying. No, anyway. I, I think that DC hero design is interesting. That three by three grid of, of it is. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you that DC hero game does not get enough love for the work it did to try to be everything in one game. Like it did a lot of work in that game. Unfortunately, much like the movies, it had varying levels of success at doing that. I know people don't like it, but I still think the AP system in that game, it was a logarithmic scale, not a linear scale. Like, I think there's, I think there's some interesting math and shit inside that game. It, it's maybe fun. a future it, MM play yeah. game. We dust that game off and yeah, someday we go it, at it. It's, it can be fun, but it, it's, it's tough for people who like to think about game systems because there's a lot of things like a lot of times a zero is actually a one and stuff like that. And it throws things off completely. Yeah. There's some stuff in there. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying there's some interesting shit that goes on in that game. Let's talk about problems then. Sometimes when you look at stats, the stats, depending on the game itself can be somewhat limiting, both in what they allow the character to do. And sometimes when, about how they inform the, the play about what the players think their character can do, especially when you get people who are not familiar with a variety of game systems. If a stat isn't, uh, portrayed properly, it can sometimes make players think that if the stat doesn't match up with what I want to do, I can't do it or I use the wrong stat. So stats need to be defined properly. Um, they could also sometimes just be limiting. Sometimes a game might not have the stats it needs to portray the things that it wants to do. It takes a better GM to make that work. That's what I'll say about the first problem that they can cause. I'm trying to think of an example of it offhand and I can't, when I see bad games that, that do these kind of things, I don't play them ever. So yes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, that's fair yeah. i just can't think of one that's terrible dc heroes is one that i think of that i think the stats sometimes can be limiting in the way that they're put together um as much as i love silhouette which is heavy gear jovian chronicles things uh, gear creek the way that those stats are put together make it difficult sometimes for players to come up with how do i want to do x y and z because the stats and the skills don't interact in a way that lets the players play outside of a very small box unless the gm is very flexible and that's where limiting abilities can be overcome by experienced GMs, but it shouldn't need to be that way. I mean, if the game's not helping you, right? Yes. Yeah. We talk about like, that a lot. Um, and I'm not talking about games where the stats are just stats like games like Torg, where the stats just aren't high enough to make the game playable. Taking the interaction of the game sometimes if it's not defined well, and that comes up. 
That's the first thing I think of. You know what game used to drive me? You know what game drove me crazy about this? Where the stats felt like they didn't help me play the game mm -hmm. uh, was Mothership. But I could just be wrong about that because when we played Mothership, it was not a very enjoyable experience. But I could also just not like that game. No, your discussion with me about Mothership, I think, is one hundred percent. That's a good. That's a good example of that game. I can't remember what the discussion was. It was a long time ago because now. the game was designed. Because the game was designed in a way that you're not supposed to be good at succeeding at things, and it gets worse as you roll badly. Yeah. But as a result, it makes the game very difficult to play because you just keep getting worse at things as things yeah, go on. I don't know that I necessarily blame the game for that because I'm pretty sure that's the intended design. It yeah. is the intended design. Having played that game, I'm pretty sure in the, same, was off, the yeah, same game yeah, with Drew Smith yeah. ran that game yeah, for us. That, that is a specifically tailored play experience yeah. that they're shooting for. With, I mean, that that is alien Horror on a spaceship. We're all gonna fucking die. We're all gonna die. And so, yeah, you just keep losing your senses as you go through because of all the horror and the tension and the. So it did not surprise me that the game does that with its mechanics. It's a very difficult game to play unless you're really full bore gung ho about doing that play experience and just leaning into it. The problem is that there should have been not should have. It would have been different if the game had two levels of difficulties. So I think part of the issue that we all had with it was that that was a game where even before the bad shit happens, your characters are not good at the things they're supposed to be competent at. Yeah, I was, you, not, a good, I was you, not a good soldier, yeah, even though I was a soldier. Yeah, right? you, that, that's like, why it felt like, weird. Like if you're the pilot, yeah. your ability to pilot, even though you're an experienced pilot, is pretty crappy. Like it's like, it's like, yeah. a, it's like a two in 10 chance of succeeding Yeah, that, that and, stood it, out. and it shouldn't be like that before things get bad. Here's the thing too. We played that game and I didn't read the game master rules, right? Like, yeah. so we just played it. So we have no idea what the game mastering thing was. Yes. We don't know. We don't know if Drew screwed up some of the stuff or not. Like we, we're not sure what, what no, occurred. Drew, Drew was playing. I've, I've both played it and run it. Okay. So before I played that, I've both played it and run it. So that's about how I'm par with the way the game goes. Okay. Switching games. And I know this is bugging me, but I don't remember the exact mechanics for it. Kids on bikes. Because you had to roll oh. sixes. Yeah. yeah. No. No. Didn't you? Wasn't it you had to no. roll? No. No. Kid, kids on bikes is you have six stats and they're D4 to D20. And the problem is that the GM sets a difficulty roll. And so you're like, okay, I want to do X. Well, the difficulty is, you know, 14. So roll your, you know, smarts. Well, my smarts is a D6. Yeah, I just can't succeed. succeed. The way the game escalates, the only people who can succeed at things, either you have to have screwed up so much that you have a bunch of bonuses. It's like, okay, I need to roll a 14. Luckily, I've screwed up 13 times. So when I roll my D6, I can succeed at that. But otherwise, you just can't. And you just play the game. And while I know it's supposed to be kids are less competent than adults, it becomes a thing of... We're not even going to try this. There's no way any of us can succeed at this yeah. at this yeah. role. In theory, that and, game you sh you should still be able to succeed at what you're attempting to do, and it didn't feel like it was meant to be that way. No, I, I just no. remember having some issues with the die with the die mechanic, which is all based around stats. Yeah, like mm -hmm. yeah. I just remember that like there's something about the game where it, it doesn't level out correctly you, or something. You, you you have six stats: they're d4, d6, d8, d10, d12, d20, and your difficulties can go anywhere from two to twenty, and so. The problem is there's a, such a huge gap between D12 and 20 that you can be the jock who's got a D20, who got a D20 in that in their strength, but there are going to be two thirds of the things out there that are, that are physical things you're just not going to succeed at. And the kids end up 
failing miserably, not just failing in an amusing way, like failing miserably at stuff. Uh, it's another game that makes you feel incompetent because in a game where the average difficulty is 10 and you've got four stats that are not going to, well, you've got three stats that are never going to succeed and one you're going to succeed at one tenth of the time. It makes you feel incompetent. It's a game that, that punishes you for being, yeah. playing the game. I just don't play those games anymore. Any, any of the on bikes games, kids on games. Which is too bad, because I guess they have a really good space spaceship design system for kids in space. Mm -hmm. oh, that's neat. Talking about some hacks and wish lists, then, that people would like to see in their games. Yep. I actually don't have any, because I don't really think about them that much. I have, I put five of them down here. We can mostly because all the hacks and wish lists that I want in games often end up in the games that I'm yeah. playing. <laughs> it depends on the game, but some of these ones on the list I like that are in certain games. Mm -hmm. My first one was, I like I personally like games that don't have too many stats. Unless the game super needs them, I don't like games that have I've, I've seen there was a design theory that seemed to go on in the 90s where it was more stats, more fun. And so they did things where they would break up strength and body and then constitution and endurance and dexterity and reflexes. And so you ended up with characters who had like 12 or 15 stats that limited things a lot more because now instead of agility being or dexterity being all the things involved in dexterity. You had, is it a reflexes thing or is it a dexterity thing? Does it fall in between? Sometimes it was dexterity, uh, reflexes and quickness. Those kinds of things for me felt like there were too many stats, too many games that have a hundred skills in their skill lists. So I'm going to say yeah. for stats, like you're saying too granular. Too, yes. Too granular. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm streamline agree with that. Streamline that list. It needs to mean something and it needs to mean something for a reason. Now, I think that sometimes attribute when they become too granular is often somebody who's trying to simulate mm -hmm. right so they're they're not emulating like they're trying to build a i'm chopping up dexterity into reflexes quickness into this thing and do you actually need that for a game maybe you maybe might. if the game is about being as earth realistic as possible sure but if you're like uh two-fisted pulp do you need like three dexterity stats or do you just need dex? I think that's a design aesthetic and I think it's a design decision, but I'm with Jerry. I don't like, I don't, I don't like a huge laundry list of, of stats. Now at the same time, you can look at two different, two different levels of that. My biggest problem with most mecha games is that there are too many mecha skills that a player is either you're good at mecha and nothing else, or you're good at other stuff and don't ever get in a mech because there's going to be gunnery mech, lasers, mech, rockets, mech, whatever. The flip side of that is a game like Call of Cthulhu, where you have lots of skills, but they're all useful. A character with botany. It's the one game where a character with botany is probably going to have a use for that skill in the game. And that's okay, because Call of Cthulhu was designed around the fact that characters with specialties make a difference. The problem with mecha games is that they never can get the right balance between being in the mech and not being in the mech. Yes. That's besides, I mean, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. yeah. If you're making a mecha game, just pick one. I think you could just do both. We probably have the technology to do it now, right? Cortex. Do it like Netwitch. Cortex. Anyways, the thing about too many or too few stats, do they matter? Yes. Which yes. is what was said. And I just, I just want to mm -hmm. like, do they matter to the mm -hmm. play of the game? Yes. If they don't, then why are they there? Mm -hmm. If you're a designer and you're like, oh, I think it'd be fun. I'm like, can you play this game effectively with this? And that can you, can everybody else, if you're making it for a mass audience? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So for instance, if all you have in your game is one skill that uses that particular stat, it's probably not that useful. Probably not that useful. For instance, and we had this problem, Senda and I found this design problem in Hydro Hackers in like our second round of playtesting was one of the stats wasn't used in enough moves. We went back and did like a quick tally, like 
how many moves does each stat tie to? Mm-hmm. And it was like, I think, in te- like, it wasn't intelligence. I forget what it was, but it was one of those. It was like one of the mental ones. And it originally only had one move that used it. And the person during playtesting was like, I put a plus two in it, but I only got to do that one move with it. And so we went back and rewrote a couple of the moves to allow you to also use that stat instead of like, I think one of them was like, when you wanted to look up information, you could do it by technology, like searching on the web, or you could do it like intelligence by, you could recall the information. That just goes down to one of the other things we can jump back to it. I think stats should have a fairly even number of uses in the game. If you play a game and you always go, well, that's our dump stat. And everybody uses that same stat as a dump stat all the time because it gets used very rarely. That's probably the indication of a badly designed stat system. If you can get by, now not every game, you can play D&D where nobody in the party has a high strength because you can build characters around that. But I like games that have these five stats are all skill stats, but this one stat gives you a bunch of cool derived stats. That's okay. This is the problem with this discussion is that there's no context. Yeah. If you have to have context of a game and a system and its intent before you can decide whether these things matter or not. Yeah. Cause there's, yeah. I think there's two things at play here. There is the case that Jerry's talking about where a stat is just not represented in the game mechanics. And that is a problem. But if you're playing something open like D and D literally almost any stat in D and D can be a dump stat. If the group is playing a certain way. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like if we were playing a roving band of bards traveling around the world, spreading cheer and helping people out we can all have strength as a dump stat Mm -hmm. but if we are if our party is we just clear out dungeons for cash then strength probably isn't our dump stat yeah like like you can do it both like so that's a case context matters yeah that's a case where the table play and the con like you said the context what you're playing in the game which ties into our session zero, which is coming yeah. up in, yeah. in the next dun, episode, dun, dun. which would help define some of that. But there are cases where mechanically you've like orphaned a stat in your game. Yeah, then you've yeah. messed up. Yeah, yeah. then yeah. you've made it. You've ha- you have a design flaw in your game. For instance, I am uh, my game is about piloting mechs, and my me- and there isn't really a a great mech piloting stat. You messed up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or there's ten of them. The next thing I have, I like games where the stats and skills are flexible. They're not always tied directly together, like you said, where you could have like. Games where this is the skill, this is the only attribute you can use with it. I don't like as much as this is the skill, this is the attribute that normally use with it, but you can use other things with it if the game allows for it. So the difference between like intimidation based on strength or charisma or intelligence, if you can outsmart the guy, that kind of thing. Those I like more than this is the the stat, this is the skill, and it's the only way these two go together. From a wish list, I like games where they're a little that, bit more flexible. Yeah, that's fun. Like, I don't... That's a wish like, list Like I for said, me. for me, man, like, it just depends on the game. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. the games have different play styles and different intents. Exactly. I'm not saying you can't play one the other way. This no, is, this is just I'm, wish I'm not arguing with you. I'm also stating my wish list, Jerry. Okay, Calm go down. Ahead. Go ahead. Sit down. <laughs> no, Jerry, sit down. Stop okay. coming over here. Oh, my God. Every time I say something, you don't have to contradict me, Chris. It's okay. I didn't contradict you. I'm going to roll up a newspaper, so... You just thought I contradicted you that time. Jesus. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I just like games that play the way that they're intended to play. Yes. And if they're playing well the way that they're intended to play, then they're fun. Mm-hmm. If you have a targeted play experience that you're looking for and you've created uh, abilities and stats that play to that. Exactly. You've done well. Yes. Okay. Let's move on. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about another show on the Mr. Mark Network. <laughs> hey, you know what? We have this little show called Pandas Talking Games. Excellent stuff. Queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes because the outtakes are fun too. Phil and Senda join them every Wednesday answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing 
your tabletop role playing games? Let's get, get cozy, cozy and talk about some yeah. games. That's also, right. I wouldn't contradict you, Jerry, if you were right. Wow. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> you brought it up. I didn't. I know. Let's do some Patreon shoutouts. We should probably do the Patreon shoutouts. Cool. Too. So I uh, thought I was right. Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> if Jerry was right, <laughs> the uh, we have a we have a returning patron, the Chromatic Chameleon, who is the Queen's spy mistress. Thank yeah. you so much for returning to the royal court. We greatly appreciate you. You want to do the rest of them, Bob? Sure. We also would like to thank Tentacle Duck, Kevin Cork, Aaron Laskowski, Craig Duffy, Brendan Dennis, Padme's lover, Chris Mead, Jason Pitt, Ryan Bolter. Richard Ruane, Jeff Stevens, Troy Pitchelman, David Walker, Victor Wyatt, John. Just John. And Glenn Seiler. Hey, Glenn. And thanks to everybody for listening to this. If you like more content like this, and why wouldn't you, mm-hmm. you can find it on our website at misdirectedmark.com. <laughs> and if you want even more and more, you greedy listening. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Please, that's sir, may I have some more? <laughs> that's, a de- uh, that's a different activity. All right, if you want more, <laughs> well, I'll then. give you more. Oh, man. Um, check out our patron page at patreon.com slash MMP with hundreds of bonus episodes available. There are hundreds. Phil mentioned some of these shows, and these include things like Panasonic and Games, The Gnomecast, Bonus Experience, and Thacko with Advantage. And if that isn't enough content for you, I suggest checking out our sibling pond. Pa- yeah. Restrictor Mark, Word Scramble. Yeah. Sibling Podcasts. Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and Mastering Dungeons. Before you decide what your dump stat's going to be for this game, leave us some feedback. And this podcast. Yes. yes. You can reach <laughs> us directly using the weird old archaic emails, just like your parents taught you, at Mr. at MMP at misdirectedmark.com. Check us out on Twitter while it's still, while it's still going. Mm-hmm. The show in the network is at misdirectedmark. He's Robert M. Everson. He's GM Jerry Mander. Hey there. That's the Light 101. Sup. And I'm DNA Phil. Hey, we also have an Instagram now. Go there. Whoa. Go check us out on Insta. Like, MM, MMP Instas? Yeah. Like the, wow. ki- like the kids at, do. At misdirected. Point. Like the youngins. Uh, we are, and we promise you, at least for the time being, no bikini pics will be okay. So, all right. When we get Spring's to, coming. Yeah. There was going to be a joke, but no. I'm going to go with like 1920 swim. Like, it's never, hey, it's never going on Instagram. Remember that Patreon we mentioned earlier with the tons <laughs> of bonus episodes? Good job, Bob. If you want to support us and other shows from Misdirected Mark Productions, you can do that at patreon.com slash MMP. Your patronage will get you access to the after show podcast, our show notes, the Bamboo Lounge podcast, our MM Plays game stuff like Phil's nifty setting for the Children of the Shroud. Or Chris's game development notes on the Lamplighter system. And occasionally other special releases. The Mod Doc will be out this week. Mm-hmm. Mod Doc! Yep. Well, this has been a Misdirected Mark production. Uh, man, apparently I was fighty tonight. My bad. The media okay. arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out! Punch it! <laughs>